I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Tired Mummy Podcast, a safe platform where we can openly discuss the highs and lows of parenthood, judgment-free. Join me in authentic conversations with mums and dads from across the globe. Let's help each other feel less alone, let's grow and feel better in our parenting skin together. Come join our tribe while we get into some real talk. And don't forget, bring your coffee. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Tired Mummy podcast. You're listening to episode number 11. In today's episode, I talk to powerhouse mama Katie Robertson. Katie's initiation into motherhood was a little different. When Katie was 20 weeks pregnant, she found out her baby had a birth defect. We talk in depth about how she navigated the rest of her pregnancy and the first few years of her son's life. Despite experiencing many challenges, Katie met them head-on with empowered grace. This episode with Katie is a must-listen for any parent. Katie is so positive, real, and raw in sharing her experiences. I cannot wait for you to dive into this beautiful chat. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the podcast, Katie. I'm feeling super grateful for you joining us today. Can you please get us started by telling the listeners a little bit about you and what's one piece of parenting advice you wish you'd never listened to? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I thought you were going to say your best parenting advice and I'm like, oh, I know this one. What was bad that was told to me? Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, Buying way too much stuff before you even know the personality or the sleep routine or just anything about your baby. I just feel like I actually ended up just buying the exact little tools I needed along the way that actually were accustomed to like our 
lifestyle that I wasn't ever expecting. So for me, I feel like just don't buy that much stuff and just go to baby bunting as you need it because you're up there every week anyway buying new clothes. Um, Don't feel the pressure to have it all organized. I feel like all they need is a few onesies. Maybe you need a pump if you're thinking about that way. Um, You need a bed, a pram and a car seat. Like I really don't feel like you need anything, but there's all this pressure to buy all this stuff. (laughs) Um, But back it up. I'm Caitlin. I'm currently residing on the Gold Coast. I left Sydney on June 22nd with 10 minutes to spare before COVID lockdown 2.0. That wasn't intentional. We planned to go on this awesome road trip, uh, my husband, my son and I, and uh, we actually intended to originally leave the day that we left, which was such a, you can say, universe, intuition. For me, it's God. Um And I tried to push it back later because I really wanted to go to a baby shower and my cousin's um, baby's first birthday. And that all got cancelled because of COVID anyway. We ended up leaving on the day that we were meant to leave. I should have just listened. And um, we, yeah, have actually never returned. So we went to the Gold Coast on a road trip and we never went back. Our house is still in storage. My husband's actually gone back there for work, uh, for his business, temporarily some maintenance stuff. But Basically, I live on the Gold Coast now and I'm living in an Airbnb trying to find a rental. Um, I run my own business, a natural living business, where I educate and help mostly women and mothers to remove the toxins in their home and buy more sustainable eco-cleaning and beauty and uh, baby products. So that keeps me busy during the week. Um, My husband and I are property investors and then he's got a strata maintenance cleaning company in Sydney. So we're busy. We're really busy, but it's good. And of course, I have a little one-year-old who we're going to talk, a two-year-old who we're going to talk about today. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) I don't know how you've got so much energy in your voice with everything that you're doing. Oh my God. It's awesome. (laughs) Now, as you said, you're juggling so many plates and you're on a mission to help other parents and mamas. And I love how honest you are on your platforms Uh, Your entrance into motherhood was a little different. Can you please share with us a little bit about your story into motherhood and what your biggest learns were in the first year? Yeah, wow. Okay, where to start, but I'll try to keep it succinct. Um, So uh, at our 20-week scan, which you get to start to see a little bit more, as you know, it's really exciting scan when you're a first-time mum or even just a second or third-time mum, we discovered that my son had a birth defect, which was a left cleft lip, and it was possible that his palate was affected, but due to it being inside the mouth, you can't actually really see unless the baby happens to have its head tilted up with its mouth open. And the likelihood of that on a skin is like, 2%. So we never actually knew or got to see if the palate was affected at the 20-week scan, but we knew the lip was. I saw it on the big screen lying there. My husband actually happened to not be at this scan or had to run out and do something for a minute, and they kind of just dumped it on me. They didn't explain what it was. Of course, I went and Googled it, which is the worst thing I could have done. And, like, when you put in those keywords, like, everything comes up from around the world, all different situations, and I honestly just went into, like, a panic. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Like, what the heck? He's just going to look so different. What does this mean? Like, I just went down this crazy rabbit hole, and I remember standing on the side of the road outside this private clinic and just crying and just being like, what the actual heck is happening? 
I actually wasn't trying for a baby at this particular time. Um, it was a, I say, a really good stitch up. Um, and I say that respectfully for all the women out there that have gone on a pregnancy um, fertility journey and it hasn't been that situation for them. But when you're not necessarily in the mind frame of like, yeah, let's make a baby and a baby comes, you're like, ooh, okay. So I was already trying to process the fact that we were now going to be parents. And I actually really to be honest, was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I really want this right now. I just really wanted to be with my husband. We were newly married. We'd only been married like a year. Like we just really wanted that quality time together. So I had to kind of get over that, got through that and was like, this is an honour. This is an honour to be a mum. Like this is a baby growing inside me. Like what the heck, Caitlin, snap out of it. Like you have been graced for this. You can do this. So I got to a really good place and then obviously found out about the scan. So it was a long journey. Um, I luckily, thankfully went into, I call this really ignorant, naive pregnancy bubble where I probably should have seeked a lot more support from the hospital and externally, but I um, chose not to. So I could stay in a really happy place in saying that I did all the scans that I was meant to, which was obviously more than a regular mum. So I ended up getting transferred into the public women's hospital and, you know, had an OB assigned to me, which normally you just stick with your midwife. And it honestly got to a point where they were like, there's nothing else we can say. Like, if you're cool, we're cool. We've checked the heart. We've checked the brain. We've checked all the organs. You don't want to do any more testing because the testing for me was too high risk. There was a risk of miscarriage with all the testing and it was like a one in 1,000th chance it could be genetically connected to something else. And I just went fully in the faith zone. I was like, no matter what they say, I'm in. Like we're in, we're parents, we're going to the end. No matter what happens, we'll just find out on the other side. Um, so I've now supported some other mums that have had this news uh, back in my local area of Sydney and I noticed how differently I was compared to them. They wanted every detail, every step. They researched so much. I was like, man, I was so ignorant. Like I went in so blind, but I do feel like I had a beautiful pregnancy. I had a really beautiful awareness around the fact that I could pump milk in case the cleft was affected. So from that perspective, and I just focused all on health and mindset. So I was doing the birthing courses. I hired a doula. I was just right in deep with making this birth beautiful, regardless of what the outcome was going to be. And that was 110% successful. I was so healthy. I was so fit. I was mentally in an amazing place. I had a really good birth. It was hard and it hurt, but it was a good, positive birth. I felt very empowered and heard. And then he was born. And from the second he was born, honestly, I don't know if like many mums have ever felt like this, but for me, I was full of disappointment. And that is not what I was expecting to feel when I'm literally just gone through this mammoth birth. I was bent over the bed and like really kind of uh, letting gravity like squatting and then I got down on my knees and he came out and I straight away saw that like his lip and I was like man and then I start screaming is the palate affected is the palate affected and you know what it's like anyone out there once you've had a baby it's like adrenaline there's just so much emotions like you're kind of like in this whoa place in your head and there's me screaming at like the pediatrician that's coming in trying to like give me information because my baby's up over on this bench and I'm like bleeding and my husband's like it's a boy 
because we didn't know it was a boy. So he was just in like, I got a boy. He's got a willy. Yes, I'm going to be a boy dad. Like he just went into like, he's going to play AFL and sport. And like, he just loved it and was so pumped. Or I was like, can I breastfeed? Can I breastfeed? Can I breastfeed? And they were like, yes, positive, you know, double, whatever they said, hard and soft palate has been affected. And I just went, fuck. And I just remember standing up and I was like, I just want to have a shower and put my pajamas on. I was just PO'd. And I never will forget the first photo, you know, and they put the baby on you and, like, it's meant to be this beautiful bliss moment and all the tears are meant to be coming and you stick it on Instagram and it's like, wow, wow, wow. And I love those photos, no judgment to those people, and I'm going to get my rounds of that moment next, baby. But that wasn't me. I remember the look in my face when I held my baby and I just remember being like, I'm so excited to have a baby. I'm a mom, but I'm so disappointed. This is going to be a really hard journey. So, yeah, I can keep going, but you tell me where you want me to keep going in what direction. Oh, I just, wow. There is, you're amazing. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Like, honestly, I can't even imagine, like, yeah that experience um and I'm sure I'm so sure that you're not the only one that experienced that disappointment I mean it's hard because you I feel like in these situations I'm not sure because I haven't been in it but it's like it's it feels like no matter how much you tried to prepare yourself mentally or how much you knew what was going to happen um you still felt that it's like you can't control that and it's like this, there is a lot of grief for you, like grieving that moment, grieving breath, not being able to breastfeed, grieving, um, you know, that moment um, in the scan and it all comes back to all these expectations we have or we're given or we see that are just whether they're from us or, or they're from other people. And I think totally. I think you've handled it with such grace and honestly I'm in awe of your story. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about your breastfeeding journey because I can tell you're really passionate about it and you were obviously very torn and upset when you found out you couldn't breastfeed. So what were your next steps once you, however you <laughs> collected yourself from you know, finding out that that wasn't going to be an option. Yeah, so um, he actually ended up going down to NICU, was like actually a mistake. And because of that mistake, the CLEF nurse that gets assigned to every single person at Randwick Women's Hospital and then you've got the Children's Hospital next door if you know Sydney, um, CLEF babies don't need to go to NICU. But they forget that down there and they think that, oh, my gosh, how are we going to feed this baby? It can't breastfeed straight away. But babies, as we know, can actually survive a really long time after they've come out without needing food. They're actually not going to die or get dehydrated for some time. So there isn't actually that much of a rush. The only problem was I got my wish. My baby was born on Easter Sunday, which meant it was a public holiday on the Monday, so the team wasn't there. So the Clefner cleft nurse only operates Monday to Friday but obviously without public holidays so she didn't come in till the Tuesday morning and because I didn't catch up with her when I was pregnant I caught up with the surgeon and knew the process of the surgeries and the duration of his life with surgeries so I felt that part was like um understood I didn't actually connect with the cleft nurse so to this day she's like you slipped through the cracks and I'm like I chose to be slipping through the cracks don't you worry like you didn't fail at your job I ignorantly didn't want to 
be in this really hectic hospital bubble? Well, the downside was I didn't have the bottles uh, that you need to use that you can only access through the hospital. So he went down to NICU and because he's in NICU, he wasn't near me. So that disappointed feeling and then not having your baby near you is a really dangerous combination. So I remember thinking in my head, okay, Caitlin, let's have a pep talk. When I was upstairs, you know, you're trying to heal. I was like, if you don't go down and see that baby, every chance that you get, this could be not good for you. I remember thinking I could get postnatal depression. Like I'm not naturally someone to have that mental health. I've actually got a really great mental health, but I just remember thinking this is the moment where I know that women hit like a crossroad because you're like anxious to go down there. You feel like everybody's watching you. You're now going to sit there next to this like cubicle thing with your baby. Like it's just, it doesn't feel great. So I remember telling myself every day, okay, you're going to get up. You're going to go down there when you're allowed to hold your baby. You're going to be with your baby and you're just going to keep pushing through. And I did that. And then all of a sudden I got my bliss moment down in NICU and I remember sitting next to him and I was just like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Like, and all of the hormones kick in, as you know, and it's all just meant to be. And then I just forgot about everything else. I was just obsessed with this baby. Right. And I just want to say he, it's okay. if People don't get their bliss moment for a couple of days. And it's okay. If it takes time for you to get to know your baby and it's okay, because you've literally got to become friends. And if you don't have that connection of breastfeeding straight away, maybe like a preemie baby or another birth defect or another health situation, like if you just keep pushing through, like, I know that bliss moment comes like we're created to have that rush of hormones. Um, So I had to end up hand expressing my colostrum. So this is where I'm going to interject and say my one big mama tip is no matter what baby it is, no matter where you're at on a journey, whether you've had scans, not had scans, whatever, I'm so passionate about prenatal expressing and freezing your colostrum. It's so cheap. There's this amazing site online that uh, this amazing girl online that I found through um, Instagram. She sends out little packs. She's a nurse. I send them to every single mum that's having a baby. It's my baby shower gift, you know, with some other little thing that they want. And no mum ever expects they're going to get it. And every mum that I've sent it to is like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And you become so comfortable with your breasts. You know, every lump and bump, it's not awkward when you start breastfeeding because you're like, I've been squeezing my boobies for the last three weeks getting ready for this. (laughs) And it's like knowing your boobs. Like no one knows their boobs. It's so true. like intimacy and like just just looking nice in clothes like I remember doing it and I was I felt so awkward I was like what am I doing I feel like I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) did you get colostrum did you freeze it oh I did I didn't get a lot um which plays with your head a bit you're like oh my god am I not going to produce any milk because I'm not getting a lot um and it was a lot of effort to even get a little bit but I did get um, a couple meals and I froze it and I did end up using it all. Cool. Yeah. yeah, totally. I actually had a friend recently that I sent it to. She actually somehow got a lot of colostrum and because she was having issues when she first started breastfeeding, they're like, oh, we're going to have to put him on formula. And then she's like, but wait, I froze all this colostrum. She's like, really? She's like, yeah, I've got like 10, um, like five to six mil things of colostrum. They're like, whoa, that is so much colostrum. But okay. And then she's like, Caitlin, because you gave me that gift, I didn't have to then go from formula back to trying to breastfeed again. I just had my colostrum. And then 
whatever, the process for her to get back on the boob ended up going really smoothly. And I was like, yes, that's the whole point. It's a little insurance policy just in case things don't go how we planned, right? So I was tired trying to hand express colostrum every three hours with a baby in NICU. So I was like, "Mm, dang it, I wish I'd done this. Um, But I did it. And I got my little um, syringes and I labelled it and I'd take it down and if he was asleep, I'd pop it on his pillow and I saw these little um, syringes filling up and then because he was on fluids, um, they actually syringed it into his mouth. So he got to taste it. So it was like a little sweet treat that he got to actually taste rather than just everything, you know, going through the, the drip, which isn't very fun for him, like his palate. And um, so that was that was really sweet. Anyway, yes, I had my pump ready um, I'd even kept the receipt cause I was like, might not need it. Still believing he's not going to have his palate affected. And, um, indeed I did need it. So I had it ready when I went home, but the hospital obviously always gives you their, you know, really, um, industrial one, which is very strong and they won't let you go home until you feel comfortable pumping milk. So I started pumping milk at the hospital and we were there for about six days. Wow. And so you ended up um, exclusively pumping for 12 months, was it? Not exclusive. I did give a bottle of formula in the night and I get my husband to give a bottle of formula when I was out for too long just because the pressure of exclusive for me in my situation, I didn't produce heaps and heaps of heaps of milk. I produced enough, but I couldn't waste it. I couldn't let it go off. I had to be super smart with my rotations and everything. But if I didn't get home and he was hungry, I'm not going to let my baby you know, just scream with hunger and my husband be so stressed. I'm like, the formula's there. Just there use it. I'll be, home. <laughs> I'll be home for my next round. He'll just get back on it. And he didn't have any issue switching between. The issue we did have with the formula journey was that um, I'm pretty sure my son's lactose intolerant. We're still trying to figure it out now. So am I. Um, part of my husband's family had some lactose intolerant issues as well with his nieces um, and also his mum. So it was very likely he was going to have issues. So all the formulas were making him vomit and reflux. And it was that part was really, really stressful. So I ended up calling a lactation consultant, even though I wasn't breastfeeding. She actually suggested a couple of tips and tricks for me, which just took so much stress out. Um, Also just showed me some really clever things like put my pump in the fridge so then it wasn't growing like bacteria and I could use it another time without having to wash it every single time because that is really stressful and dry all the parts. So I wrap it up in Glad Wrap and then put it in the fridge because it stays cold. Obviously, it's not going to grow bacteria. such a good Um, tip. Such a good tip. And then she just showed me some different way to like rotate things. But the biggest tip was she suggested a whey-based formula. So it it was basing on the fact that he might have had a bit more of like a milk allergy and it still kind of upset him a little bit, but it was enough that we could get it down and he liked it and it was effective and it was only at nighttime and, you know, kind of got us through on the gap. So it really worked. And my breast milk was fine for him. So yeah, it wasn't exclusive, exclusive, but I did pump for 12 months. Yes. Till his first birthday. (laughs) Wow. Hats off to you. I mean, I've obviously, I've, I've pumped a fair bit. I was able to breastfeed, but yeah, I, I, that pump is away and it's stored away and I don't ever really want to look at it again. So I don't know how you did that for so long because it's hard. It really is hard. 
Yeah, you get, um, I'm quite a determined person. I love knowing there's always another road. There's always more options. There's more choices. You've just got to hunt it down and you can't take no as your first answer. You can't take the one piece of advice you get from one professional. I'm always like, there's got to be more. Let's squeeze more out. And for me, I was like, well, I'm producing the milk. That wasn't the issue, right? Because there's so many things that go wrong with breastfeeding. It's nipples and it's the actual milk and is there four milk and the baby's latch and tongue. Like there's so many things. It's not like a one-way show and I don't think we talk about enough that it's okay if breastfeeding's hard and it's okay that it hurts and it's like breaking a new pair of shoes. Like you've just got to push through the first part and then often it it's smooth sailing and you don't even think about it. It's like, you know, autopilot. I just wish more people create more awareness around that because then you go in knowing, all right, this could be difficult. I'm kind of, I've got my hat on ready to go. I'm ready for whatever I need, you know, like it's not such a downer then on the other side that you feel like you failed. Basically, I ended up then knowing that I had the milk that I was producing, right? I actually had the milk there. I just needed a different way to give it to him. So I just saw it as I just need to get it out and give it another way. And in my mind, I felt like that meant I didn't miss out. So I had to like rechange my path to still feel like I was empowered. I had a choice and I could feed my baby how I wanted. And I see mums that can breastfeed and have milk, but they still choose to bottle feed and their journey is really grounded and often really healed because they made that choice. When women feel like breastfeeding has been stolen from them, that's when the grief kicks in because it's not an empowered choice. It's often the first person that made contact with you at the hospital or the community centre spoke something over you and didn't allow you time to go home, put it all out on the table with your partner and talk about your options. I think you need at least 24 hours to make a choice. It's not, okay, you're not getting milk. He's not latching properly. It's not working. Your boobs aren't good. Okay, let's just give you a bottle of formula. And the baby just starts learning how to use a bottle. And often it's harder for them at that early stage to then go back to the boob. We've heard so many stories about, I've heard story after story after story of that. Happened um, even to my own mother-in-law. They didn't even give her a chance, just gave which would be my husband, the bottle straight away. And he never wanted the boob after that. And then that feels like rejection. And then that tips into resentment. And when you're not anchoring to that person in power because you're so fatigued and you feel so insecure in your motherhood journey and you become more confident, you look back on that experience and you go, I wish I didn't let them do that to me. And then that's where the guilt kicks in. And then that's where all of those feelings cycle. And the worst part for me is when I see someone else, like a friend or a mom, say, well, fed is best, at least your baby gets fed. And I'm like, that's that's wrong in stage one of grief. You're undermining that person's feelings and not allowing them to actually go through the motions. You're basically saying, well, you should just be grateful that your baby's like alive and feeding. No, that's not gratitude what that mom needs at all. She just needs to be acknowledged. Okay, it sounds like something didn't go right in that process. It's not your fault. You were tired. You were weak. You've never done this before. You you anchored to someone in control who was meant to be guiding you and obviously had a bias or was lazy or actually wasn't educated. That's why we need to see proper actual lactation consultants. I've done like over 120 hours of actual research and time that's not a nurse or a midwife or the ladies up at the community center they're actually not trained in that they don't go through that in their training so it's hard to expect them to give you the best advice and walk you through that journey when 
they're actually not trained in it. And I think when you bring it back for that for the mum and that the mum actually just did the best she could with what she was told, it's not her fault, it's a much better grieving process, right? But from the very start, I hope more people listen to podcasts like this and just know if that ever arises for them, they are allowed to take a moment and to go and talk to their husband. You know, sometimes babies just... um, uh, sometimes mums want the feeling of the baby on the nipple and they do the tube feeding and that for mums can be like a really beautiful experience and eventually they can get back on the boob. Like there's actually quite a few different things that you can do if breastfeeding is something you really deeply desire and you want to push through with. It's not, hey, it's not working or one boob's better than the other or your nipples are wrong or they're inverted or you, you, like some people have wear nipple guards and that works yeah. for them. Like There's actually so much you can do. Anyway, I could hype on about this all day, but I just want mums to know whatever you choose is best for you, no judgment, and it's the choice of you and your partner who needs to support you if it is a pumping journey, obviously, because it's a lot more work than formula feeding, and you need to feel good in your choice and feel like you're the boss mama, not some other person that's not going to be there with you and your baby and your child for the rest of your life, right? So that's how I got to that point of wanting to pump it made me feel empowered and it made me feel like I hadn't missed out for other mums that might have been a stressful choice and they are like no I can't do all of that bottle feeding is the best thing for my mental health and takes the least pressure off me I I can resound in that you know yeah so good such good advice so much gold in there and everything you said I just resonate with so much and I'm so glad that it's going into other mamas' ears or pregnant ladies' ears because it's so important, like, to feel empowered and to make the decisions yourself and then also if you go through a tough time to have compassion for yourself um, and don't feel bad about what you didn't know. It's, yeah, it's not your fault. So good. I was just going to say, and if it if any of this is triggering and you do feel like, hey, I actually would have pumped and no one told me, I so recommend like talking to somebody about it because it is something that can kind of rot away with you. It can affect your parenting. Um, it can affect the way you interact. It can also mean that you're a bit more defensive and on guard with other breastfeeding mums. At the end of the day, the mums that do breastfeed, it's actually, it's not their fault that you couldn't, like they're not the arch enemy. Um, see, I just really recommend healing through it and and talking about it, whether that's with your partner or a best friend, a doula, um, like there's a great, uh, lady called like call for the store. She does like, um, post-birth, um, like consultations, like someone like that can really talk you through that grief circle, or even if it's really getting to you, a counselor, like I can, I can't recommend that more and releasing that grief that in a natural way will just skyrocket you in your mum journey. And you'll be able to see other mums breastfeeding and it won't, it won't trigger you. And that's the point that I got to. I'd actually admire women breastfeeding like it was art. And sometimes I have to be careful that I don't stare. I'm like, sorry, I'm staring. It's just so beautiful watching your baby like suck your boobie and like drink your milk. I didn't get to do that, but I'm just like so happy for you. And that's the place I got to. I wasn't angry at anybody, you know. Mm, that's so amazing that you that you were able to come full circle with that and so important that you did that, had that healing. It's so important to heal our wounds. Oh, 
Do you have some tools that help keep you grounded in the hard moments? Just generally hard moments in motherhood or like the pumping hard moments? Just general hard mum moments. <laughs> There's a lot of things I look back on and I had really good tools, I feel like, for the hard moments in pumping. So like I set a declaration that I will pump anywhere, anytime. I won't have shame. I'll even pump in public places if it means I need to, just like breastfeeding mums do. Um, I will have a cheerleader of women that are not allowed to say Fetty's best ever when I'm down. I know that Fetty's best, not silly, know that my baby needs to be fed, but on my hard days I really need them to just say, how about we talk about it tomorrow? Let's just get through today. Let's talk about it tomorrow. And most of the time you wake up the next day and you're like, I just had a bad day. I'm okay. I'm back on track or, you know, they're teething or they've got something going on, right, and it's just a bad day. I had friends that were specifically would speak into my life and be like, you can do this, Caitlin. We know when your next milestone is. So that leads me on to the next thing. I had milestones. My son had his first surgery at four months, so I wanted to make surgery one. So he had breast milk when he was under two um, hours of general anaesthetic, which is ridiculously out of normal pediatric anaesthetic guidelines. Cleft babies are like kind of the ones that are exception or emergencies like heart surgery and stuff like that. But normally you have to be one year old before you can go under general. So I had that milestone and I knew that would also help potentially keep him healthier because he can't get sick and there was COVID really heavily at that point. My baby was during April 2020, so that's like when we were navigating all of this. So, you know, surgeries and elective surgery because it's elective surgery was very volatile. So I just wanted to make sure he was healthy so he wouldn't miss his appointment. So that was a big driving force. Then I was like, okay, milestone two is going to be... Um, Six months, because at six months I introduce solids, so I know the milk pumping is going to start decreasing, so it's not going to be eight times every 24 hours throughout the night. I'm going to start really dropping. I think I dropped one during the night around like four months, and then I dropped again at six months, and then as you know, mama's out there, once solids come in, you can over that next two to three months keep dropping. So I knew at six months I'm like, oh, man, the workload's going to drop. And then my next milestone was nine months for the palate repair surgery, which again, COVID was still rife, 2000, February 2021. And I again, when I went out a little bit longer even that uh, anaesthetic, because that was, that was a lot of work. Um, that's like literally zipping his whole palate and all the, the whole roof of his mouth down and then even like shifting his like um, gum a little bit. He still has to get a gum grafting when he's nine. But I was like, okay, I'll try and make it to that one. And when I make it to that one, I'm like, oh, it's nine months. I'm literally pumping like three times a day. This is like a breeze. I'll just make it to one year. And then I made it to one year and stopped. So I gave myself permission, all those milestones to reassess how I was feeling mentally. And I also read in my declaration that at any point, if this decision is affecting my mental health to the point that it's affecting everything around me, marriage, friendships, relationship with my baby, to stop. And I had no condemnation I had no guilt around that it was just constantly checking in with how am I going there's a bad day and just being over it because parenting is freaking hard and then there's like mental health where it's starting to be debilitating and you can't function I never reached that debilitating part 
um, but I came close. But it wasn't because of the pumping. It was because of all the other things that were going on. Like he had to go into emergency hospital because he developed a welt in the roof of his mouth from the bottle, like a carpet burn about two and a half inches long, and he couldn't feed. So then he lost weight. And then the ladies at the community centre started, like, telling me he's going to have to go on, like, a feeding tube for, like, three months and, like, really freaked me out. And then I got mastitis. But I didn't get mastitis because I was doing anything wrong with the pumping. I got mastitis because I was stressed because of the pressure they were putting on that my baby wasn't meeting the weight milestones. And if you see my son today, he's, like, still four kilos under weight he's so fit he's literally an athlete he's skinny like me he's got a little pot belly he's got these skinny little stick legs he's got my grandfather and my auntie's jeans he's just naturally very narrow and slender he is two years old and he still wears size six to 12 month shorts because he's got this little hip ratio like waist so I just think back and I'm like maybe he was just always skinny he had really long legs was in the 89th percentile of leg length um like they didn't need to stress me out that much. So that was the stress that I felt more than the actual pumping. And the way I actually got through that, again, was a little bit naughty. I could see my baby had really wet nappies. I finally got him feeding really well. I stopped calling everybody. I stopped answering everyone's calls for like a few weeks. I stopped going to the check-ins. I didn't answer the pediatrician's thing. As I said, stop calling me anymore. We're fine. I just stopped getting all these check-ins. I had like 14 people calling me at like one point. My phone just never stopped. If I didn't answer, they'd keep calling me back. And I love that they do their job in their own little individual fields. But when they're all contacting you and not contacting each other, you feel like you're literally an admin for like this medical system. And I remember canning all of them and I remember saying to my mom, I don't feel like I can feel my baby anymore. I just don't feel like I'm connecting. I just don't feel like I know him anymore. And my mom was like, you're going to be okay. And I just stopped calling everyone and I fully went into me. I just took like a breath, spent different time with my baby. I was started co-sleeping more. I did a lot of baby wearing. Um, I started bathing with him every night. I just started doing everything I could for that contact that I wasn't getting with that breastfeeding. And honestly, he started putting on even more weight and all our problems went away and I never went back for an appointment again. And it was like they, the pressure from them actually was spinning me out more than anything. And I, I was a good mum. Do you know what I mean? But they were just making me feel like I wasn't in a way. So once we got through all of those kind of things in our head, um, we felt like we were in a really good path. Now, the only thing that I feel like I didn't do very well and I wished I did better tools in my toolkit for parenting is I didn't sit down with my husband and have a enough of an in-depth conversation of roles and responsibilities. We did talk about it. Um, we've done counselling together. We've done counselling apart. Like we are actually quite self-development people we didn't get down to the nitty-gritty so how many times are you going to change the nappies are you going to do the feeds when are you going to do the feeds when are we sleeping how are we sleeping what's the ratio of percentage that you think you're going to turn up as a dad compared to me I know this sounds really weird but when we got home from the hospital my husband is grown up on a farm of 150 years culture is very different with country farm life some dads don't even change nappies Some dads are out on the field plowing 12 hours a day and mum stays home. And there's, if that system works at that time, because the men are literally working 12 hours a day and they have to have lunch on the farm and all of that, I understand. My husband doesn't work on a farm. He runs a business. He works from home. (laughs) 
and I'm not breastfeeding. So now we're bottle feeding. So our expectations were very different. And basically I felt we went on a journey in the first year of parenting was breaking down old cultures. And I say that respectfully. And even to this day, he doesn't fully remember everything because I think a lot of um, both both of us, I think, were getting quite triggered, but I think he was getting more triggered um, because it reminds you of things of your childhood. Things come up, like it can make you feel really insecure. It can really test you with, like, can I look after this baby? Like, can, can I do this? Like, it can be very overwhelming for some fathers, particularly if they're not that goo-goo-ga-ga father that's, like, begging their wife to have a baby and they're just, like, the dad that wants to stay home all the time. My husband wasn't like that. He loved his kid, but he wasn't like that. So we had very unrealistic, unmet expectations and that caused pressure in our marriage. And to be honest, that lingered, that pressure, because we went into survival mode. We didn't have time to go and see counsellors because I was just trying to pump and survive and we were just hanging for every surgery and trying to survive in covid and just trying to get through the day-to-day as everyone else was in 2020. So it came to the end of last year and it hit a point and I wasn't happy. I was like, man, everything has crunched and the pressure has formed in me and I'm like, I need to go talk to somebody. (laughs) And I've been to counsellors a lot in my life, but I really had to go back and do some more forgiveness work because I didn't feel like my husband was there for me when it was like the hardest time in my life, but he will reflect on that and be like, I had no idea what we were doing. I didn't even know how to be there for you. I just saw you this different person. You were just this sad mom. You were just trying to figure everything out. He's like, I didn't know what to do. So he reclused a bit more. And then I lent in more and he's reclusing more. So that was a massive marriage thing for us. And I've talked to other families where things haven't gone right in the baby's journey or become hospital parents. And it's all about the child and the child's health and marriage suffers. It can very much so suffer. Um, So yeah, that was one of the really big things. I guess a tool was it couldn't keep going like that. My son is so fine right now. Like we literally forget he even has a cleft until we go to the hospital and have to get these checkups and talk to these people. And I'm like, whoa, that's right. My son has a birth defect. Like (laughs) I literally forget. And then I have to go back into this hospital world again every six months. But essentially I ran to the counsellor. I worked on a lot of the stuff that was coming up for me. I'm working a lot on my part in the marriage. You know, there's a saying, don't look at the speck in somebody else's eye when there's a plank in yours. And I had a hell of a plank in my eye judging him about all his problems when I had plenty of my own problems to work out and a lot of disappointment that I had to still sort through. So, yeah, but I guess I have my faith. That was a really big thing for me. There was actually a particular song that someone sent me the day after my son was born and that song was on replay for me for like six months. It was like literally nourishment to my soul. Um, But I have my faith. Um, I had a really amazing community. Um, I had a business which actually distracted me at times from like pumping and all the hard things that were going on and kept me focusing on something positive others outside of myself um and I live near the beach and that saved my life because I walked up and down the beach with that carrier like freaking eight times a day when he wouldn't sleep or he had reflux or there was problems and yeah I just tried to I tried to focus on building relationship and I say this to everyone it took time for me and my baby to become friends I know that sounds really weird but I had to really learn to get to know him he was a new person in my life He's unique. He's uniquely made. He has quirks and different things that, you know, he likes or needs or positions he wants to sleep in or ways he wants to be held or cuddled. 
I had to get to know him. And to be honest, that took time. And then when I did get to know him, he changed. <laughs> so I had to get to know him again. And then he changed again. And then eventually this, you start to see this little person come out and you're like, we are besties. <laughs> like we are tight now. And I don't think we talk about that enough either. Like it's okay to take time to get to know your baby. You don't have to be this super unicorn mom like day five, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, everything that comes out of your mouth is gold. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Such good tools. Um, Honestly, you should be so proud of yourself. Amazing. Amazing. I am just in awe of you and how you've handled everything that comes your way. Um, It's it's really quite inspiring and I'm really excited for other mamas to listen and I just love how honest you are and how real you are and it's so important to be our authentic selves and just demystify all the shit that <laughs> comes our way as mums because it's just it's really hard to navigate. So I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on here and being real and being you and sharing your story that everyone's going to get so much out of this episode. Where can our listeners find you? Because I have no doubt they're going to want to follow your amazing journey. Yes, of course. You can jump over to my Instagram. That's probably the best place, which is living.the.abundant.way. I know it's long, but when you start to type it in, I'm like the only person that has that handle. Jump into my DMs. Like I always reply to people. I'm like not about just ignoring people that want to come and be in my community, but I will actually reply to your DM if you have any like pumping questions or Honestly, even if you are starting the pumping journey and you just want someone to be your cheerleader, like I'll check in on you and celebrate you and just keep, yeah, just being a nice kind of advocate in this season. Like that's such an honour for me. So, yeah, come over and say hi. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. So loved it. Love to be on your podcast. What a beautiful, beautiful, amazing human Katie is. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you resonated with this episode, please hit the five stars and give this podcast a review. It helps support me and helps other mums and dads find the podcast. Please also hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. I can't wait to bring you more episodes, but until then, this tired mummy is signing out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.